Welcome to Train of Thought. My name is Rob Tobias. My guest today is Senator, Oregon State Senator James Manning. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, thanks for the opportunity again. I want to apologize. Uh, a little hoarse today, but uh, we'll power through it. You've been using your voice a lot. Tell me what's, uh, what's going on in the Senate right now. As you know, I am one of the uh, co-chairs of the Joint Committee Transparency, Police, and Use of Force Reform. Uh, I co-chaired that committee with uh, House Representative uh, Janelle Bynum. Mm-hmm. And so you were having meetings today? We had meetings today, very powerful meetings. We heard some uh, testimony from uh, some of our neighbors who uh, had some, well, uh, some deadly encounters uh, with some law enforcement and they share their stories uh, with the committee. We talked to some experts. Mm -hmm. uh, one in, uh, in particular, uh, his name is uh, Michael German. Uh, he's a former FBI agent uh, who has done a lot of work with regards to subversive groups uh, throughout the United States. So most of his work is national. Uh, and then he kind of worked a little uh, local uh, local meaning of the Northwest area in terms of uh, tracking, identifying subversive groups. Subversive, I know. I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes it's hard to know what's going on out in the street. We have these protests, but then you have groups that kind of piggyback on and show up, and and then things look a little uglier than than the protester that had intended. Did he talk about that? How how they mix in with each other? He actually, he did. Uh, the, the modus operandi, uh, how it's used, you know, you kind of blend in. Uh, the peaceful protests that we've seen are full of uh, um, aunts, uncles, grandmas, uh, small kids, uh, nonviolent. They're there to express their First Amendment rights of regress and to petition the government for better outcomes. Right. Well, you have some of these uh, bad actors who see an opportunity, in particular during late evenings, you know, at night when it gets uh, dark, that uh, they get involved in. Uh, part of our testimony that we received was from some of our chiefs of police and, uh, how, and even a uh, couple of Portland police officers yeah. Uh, that came and testified. And you look at some of the activities and, and uh, motor operandi of these uh, individuals uh, who would get in the back of a peaceful protest and lob uh, frozen water bottles and things over the heads of the peaceful protesters. And the only ones that standing in front are the peaceful protesters and a wall of uh, police officers or law enforcement. Yeah. So it, it, uh, the question comes down to who, what constitutes a riot and who starts it versus criminal activity. Yeah. Um, there's so many video cameras out and about now. Uh, hopefully some of these people are caught in the act, even if they're at the back, you know. Yes, and that, that is true. And you find that some of these protests nationally, you see that protesters have prevented or have walled off some of these uh, would-be criminals 
yeah. from, you know, uh, breaking the law and using them as cover. But let's talk about uh, police in general. You, you were a police officer at one point in your life. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. What, um, what changes have you seen over time? I mean, now it's been a few years probably, but uh, what's your impression of, of um, where the profession has gone? I think that, well, it, it depends on who you select to do the job. Right. Not everyone can be a police officer because that role, inherently, there's a lot of responsibility to go along with it. Uh, I guess that, that makes me wonder about the application process itself. Like, how do you screen? Why? What motivates people to want to be, you know, an officer? Well, here's two things uh, that I have observed. This is during my time. First, I, well, I was a police officer before I enlisted into the Army and did 24 years active duty. Mm -hmm. uh, I noted that during the selection process, there are a number or some folks that try to go into the military that cannot qualify for the military. So they fall back on law enforcement as a option. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you look at all of these things that you that you see on television where uh, people have dressed up as if they were in the military and then approves the streets as police officers. Uh, that's a wrong mindset, and we gotta we gotta turn that ship around because it's definitely uh, heading toward the wrong on the wrong track. Yeah, I mean they've been throwing this term "defund the police" out there, which I think is not a very good term, really for what really what people are intending. I think, which is just to sort of uh, really try to define better what what a a peace officer is or what a public safety officer is and what are the functions you know I, I i had one person on social media who was a former policeman said you even said you know we're, policemen aren't social workers well in a way they they are in a way i mean they're interacting with the public so there's some but and they're the last line of defense you might say and yet uh sometimes the heat gets turned up too much when they show up um, what can you say about this, about maybe where the funding of police should go at this point? Well, I got uh, two observations on that. And uh, from my committee, the Transparent Policing and Use of Force Reform, uh, one of the things that I wanted to make perfectly clear is that every police officer out there, I want to ensure that they have the best equipment possible that they have the best training possible, and that once they go to work, uh, they end their shift and they go back home to their families the same way, if not in a better condition. That's number one. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the term that's been thrown out, defund the police, is kind of loaded. Uh, and I mean, and loaded, it means that it depends on who is interpreting that. Right. For me, uh, police officers are not certified uh, uh, behavioral health specialists. They're not. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you look at things like we have here in Eugene Cahoots uh, yeah. that deals with those situations, you have better outcomes than you would have someone that is not trained in that area. And that training applies to anyone, no matter who you are. The other part is, is that by uh, 
some of the laws that we have currently on the book, the, currently there are laws for everything. The thing is, is whether or not they should be enforced. I, For me, I think that municipalities and even counties, uh, and to include the state, we need to look at some of these laws that we have in place that are not, not relevant, especially those ones that cause uh, for negative outcomes when police and average citizens meet. We need to do away with those. There was incentives that are given to some officers, not necessarily here in Oregon, uh, although there was one where uh, there was a local community that was incentivizing their officers to uh, run radar and give tickets uh, to people. And that made their records look good. I remember when I was a police officer and they gave me my ticket book. And when I was out, I would come back and I hadn't written any tickets. And uh, a few of my colleagues at the time were saying that uh, you didn't write any tickets. Well, I didn't see any violations. So there was no point. Well, we have some that are incentivized that no matter what, a broken tail light could get you a ticket or be a cause for a stop. And then if your life driver's license or something else was under suspension or whatever, now you have rolling nominal fees that's come into play and it can get go from bad to worse just like that. Is that a cause? for interaction. I don't think so. I think that we need to do away with some of those things. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and regulations, I mean, have you guys talked about any kind of new regulations in terms of police and uh, pros and cons and of their impact? Uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm talking about. I've just heard about, you know, just trying to say, you know, non-lethal force, different different kinds of regulations that would apply to their their behavior out on the street, I guess. Yeah, I yeah, that's another thing. Uh, one of our experts, Michael German, and there were a couple of others. Uh, I think we had a uh, professor from the uh, University of Washington uh, that uh, analyzed and did research in terms of visual impact uh, in regards to appearance and reactions to crowd control. This is talking about when you have a line of police officers that's standing forward in full riot gear, you yeah. know, all of a sudden, and you have peaceful protests out there. And again, this goes back to that uh, that criminal element that's in the back that throws a water bottle or whatever causes the conflict. And then you have uh, the, the police that are, are approaching and you got these young people out there, you got these children, and uh, the police are indiscriminately uh, using these projectiles. The other day in Portland, there was a, uh, a young fellow that was protesting. He had a boom box holding over his head. And this was where the federal uh, police were. They looked like paramilitary because they dressed like them and they had the mentality of a paramilitary force. And one of them rolled over a canister. I, I assume it was CS gas. The, uh, the young man put down a boom box, picked the canister up and rolled it back toward them. He got back, he put his boom box above his head again and one of the paramilitary shot him in the head. 
with a non-lethal, non-lethal, but it cracked the skull and it put him in a hospital. Wow. Why would they shoot him in the head like that? It's that once you put on that uniform or you hiding your face, it has a tendency for uh, that person to commit a serious crime. That was a criminal act, in my opinion, and that person should be held accountable. Will they hold him accountable? I don't know, but I'm hoping that you have reasonable people to come forward. Anyone that dress up, look like they're ready for combat, is suspect to me in terms of their motives. Are they there for police, you know, to protect and serve, or are they there uh, want to visualize that they're in a war zone and the uh, peaceful public uh, assembly is their opportunity to exercise their lethal authority over others. And speaking of authority, we're seeing military, federal officers in the street. I mean, you served in the military. That you're not usually going up against American citizens, you know. You, you, you're not. And, you know, I was in one of my committees, I explained to them, if you want to be, uh, if you want to wear that uniform 24-7, if you want to be in that environment, do like I do. Go into the military. They have jobs open, readily available, and you have your choice. You can go Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, or even the Coast Guard. You can wear that uniform 24-7. You can go to strange, exotic lands. You can engage in combat uh, with subversive forces. But here's one thing. They will be firing back at you. How bold are you? Right. We could go. I'm sure we could spend this whole half hour on on some of these issues. I wanted to at least see what the temperature's like there between uh, Democrats and, and Republicans in the Oregon, uh, you know, Congress these days. Uh, I know there's, there were, you know, there's some hot button issues. I know things like healthcare and, and gun control and different things that are, uh, that people don't necessarily see eye to eye, but how, how is the discussion? How, what's it, what's it like in the Senate between uh, the parties? Well, uh, last, uh, in 2019, I was able to pass my uh, SB 770, that's Universal Healthcare Bill. Yeah. What that bill uh, does is that it, it, it puts a task force together. So the House uh, appoints two House members, legislative, and the Senate provides uh, two appointees to participate. And then there are 13 members of our community with various degrees of background that are appointed by the governor. We're going to convene that task force. On that task force, on the House side, uh, I have, uh, well, we have uh, Representative uh, Hayden, Cedric Hayden, uh, and we have Representative uh, Wilding, and one Republican, one Democrat. We are working very well together because the focus is on health care. Uh, we're looking at dental. Rep. Hayden is also a dentist, you know, and I've seen him do some great work. He does pro bono work out in the community for those that can't uh, or have access to, uh, to dental care and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I think he's a really good man. You know, he's a great legislator and stuff, and he can he can serve. He's caring. The thing about it is health care is not a political issue. Everybody at some point, if you live you are going to experience the need to have some kind of health care or some preventative health care. 
something is in there, it's the nature of being human. Mm -hmm. So uh, on the Senate side, we have reached out to uh, senators and tried to get one of the state senators to participate uh, on the uh, task force. Not one, not one. Mm. All of them turned it down. Wow. And that was so amazing to me is because, you know, regardless of what your ideology is, this is about the people that you represent. Are you saying that you don't care about your constituents having access to adequate health care, affordable health care? It's amazing. Well, this issue of the schools opening in the fall kind of falls into that into that area, you know, with COVID and how to do it safely versus, you know, we know that if the schools are open and the economy is roaring again, then, the, you know, the election, it means more for the election. But, but safety and how to do it right should be the priority. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. We have in the state of Oregon, in case people have forgotten, we have a number of students that are uh, that their parents will not allow them to get vaccinated, uh, which means that they will probably, if come in contact, it will probably uh, affect them almost instantaneously. Nobody is talking about those kids. Uh, a lot of people are talking about their kids going back to school. But then we have teachers that have a good point. If the teacher contracts uh, COVID-19 and and dies, who's going to teach the students then? <laughs> you know, so we, we're in a place now where we have to really sit back and use a common sense approach to how we're going to deal with this. This is new. We're learning as we go along. No one has any one best answer because if we, if we did, we would have been past this. So we have to make sure that we are listening to everyone and where it's possible to do things, uh, then we can do we can do those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where it's not practical and the f- level of fear is is enormous, yeah. I wouldn't impose. I would not impose my uh, uh, my wants and desires on someone because I feel like uh, it's my right to say that I don't want a face mask and, you know, if you catch it, that's on you and I don't believe it. Well, that's that's fine, but everybody don't feel the same. And uh, I think uh, we owe each other a, a an enormous amount of dignity and respect. Do you have a prediction how it's going to go? Do you think, are, are we going to see schools open? I... I don't, and I do know that there is a task force that's meeting right now, mm-hmm. and there are representatives from all of the school districts throughout the state of Oregon. I'll sit back and, and uh, wait for them to do their work and come out with uh, their best recommendations, and then we'll have to make a decision. Yeah. Um, it's great chatting with you. I think we have about maybe eight, ten minutes to go. I saw one of your other priorities um, has to do with the economy and just getting some living wage jobs. Um, I know there's been some talk about with COVID, just having tracers, you know, people that follow up. And fortunately, we, we haven't been hit as hard here in Oregon, but, you know, that's yet. Hopefully we won't. But uh, what, 
what kind of ideas are you, you know, are out there in terms of uh, keeping our economy flowing and, and getting the wages up where people can really uh, participate in the economy? Well, you know, compared to a lot of other states, you know, previous legislation has, um, have increased the minimum wage here in Oregon. Now, there are some states that are still around $7 an hour. But even with the increases, uh, the rent and other factors here in the state have continued to climb as well. Right. So in some ways, that, uh, that kind of offsets that uh, minimum wage increases uh, based off a of location and, and, and other uh, concerns. Uh, I think that uh, w- this, is, this is what I see the, for the future of Oregon. We, once we establish a universal health care system, uh, we find out right now the COVID-19 uh, that a lot of people that used to have uh, company or corporate-based health care no longer have them because the dynamics have changed. Mm-hmm. So it means that we got a lot more people that are in need of health care. Mm-hmm. Once we get a stern, a stern foundation of a universal health care statewide, this would be an incentive in my mind to other businesses uh, to invest and bring jobs into Oregon. And here's the reason why. If you already have a workforce that already has uh, uh, great uh, medical coverage, that's something that you don't have to provide, which means you don't have to share that overhead anymore. It stands that you will stand again by bringing your company here and start to expand here in this area. So I think that the uh, the universal health care that we're going to uh, develop over time and, and make a reality for if you live here in Oregon, then you get great health care. I think that that's going to be an incentive to improve and bring in and attract new jobs and new opportunities. Thus, uh, we can do more things, uh, continue to raise people out of uh, these uh, economic slumps that they're in, uh, bring in more opportunities, uh, do away with generational uh, uh lack of wealth and, and, and all these other things. So I see a good future for Oregon, but here's the deal. We all have to be open-minded and willing to accept the change. And that's going to be the hard part. People don't like change. So the healthcare thing is in, in motion. I mean, did that get, that something got passed? Is what, what, what's the timeline on that? We are, we're going to meet, uh, the, the task force is going to meet, uh, next week. Mm-hmm. where we will get our preliminaries out of the way, which means that we will be installing a chair and a vice chair. That's going to be the start. My best guess, what would it, what it would look like, I'm hoping for COVID, uh, the coronavirus set us back as everybody else. So I was looking at maybe uh, 2023, 20, 24 to have a universal health care system here in the state of Oregon perhaps 25, or if we are very fortunate and the task force work as immediately as I'm hoping, but very thorough, uh, maybe sooner than that. Maybe things can shift on the federal level and get the whole country under it. That would be great, too. How about Oregon serve as the model for the nation? That'd be awesome. Speaking of that, as my last thing I want to talk to you about is the um, vote by mail. Uh, you know, we might have some people listening to this that are in other states and they're hearing all kinds of different things about risk inherent in vote by mail. Um, 
what have you seen in Oregon in terms, you know, they're talking fraud. There's all kinds of mis, I think, misinformation, but it seems to be working from my point of view. Vote by mail is excellent. And I I tell you why, you can vote early. Uh, You get your voters pamphlet. I encourage everyone to read up on who the candidates are, read up on whatever the ballot measures are, make sure you're informed, do some research if you have questions, uh, and then turn your ballot in early. Uh, In the military, I voted by mail everywhere I went because I was overseas. Never had a problem. That's my vote everywhere I went. So this fallacy that uh, is is, uh, whatever reason uh, is fraud and all of these things is simply uh, wrong and there's no basis for it. And here in Oregon, it even got easier because we used to have to put a stamp on it. Now, now you you don't even, it's it's all paid for. Yeah, actually, that was one of my bills, uh, but the governor got out in front of me on that. uh, Ah. I submitted that, uh, I had a Senate bill that was going to do that paid postage. And uh, the governor, uh, she came out with hers, and of course hers, uh, you know, beat mine. And uh, and I was okay with that because we were going in the same direction. And it was in one of my committees that uh, I was looking uh, at that. I think that's great because, you know, when you have to apply a stamp thing, conceivably that could be considered as a poll tax. We eliminated that. We, uh, more importantly, uh, in our rural areas where I was really concerned about that don't have access to a ballot drop box. Now, the beauty of this is that you can even take it to your county uh, elections committee if you want uh, a drop it off or at a drop box or simply put it in the mail. But it has to be uh, uh, postmarked before the date of the election. So you have to have at least two days before the election in order for your ballot to count. I tend to take it to the box myself. I mean, I know I trust the, I trust the post, but you know, it's just one more last middle person. that's like, all right, I'm going to just drop it in the box. You know, I, Rob, I do, I do the same thing. And <laughs> with me, uh, it's a photo opportunity for me because I love to take my picture when I'm dropping my ballot into the ballot box or even, uh, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to get there, while the election commission is open, then I'll go in and, and drop it in the ballot box right there. Make yeah. Some better optics. Good photo out. Yeah. Hey, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. It's uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, and thank you for the good work you're doing. I, I think you're involved with uh, a lot of important issues uh, there in the Oregon Senate. <laughs> Rob, I appreciate the opportunity again, and uh, Leo, I look forward to uh, talk with you again. Maybe we'll do another chat uh, after the special session, uh, which I anticipate again between first second week of uh, August. Uh, but uh, I'll have more information, more detail, and uh, we'll get together and chat again. Thank you. My guest has been James Manning, Oregon Senator. This is Train of Thought. My name's Rob Tobias. Thanks for listening. Train of Thought can be heard on KEPW 97.3 in Eugene, It's also posted on soundcloud.com slash Rob Tobias. For comments and suggestions, email rob at robtobias.com.